Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com Women. Catherine Zox and Lauren Deller. Lauren Deller is my business coach and my co-host and president of Big Fish Nation, a 12-month entrepreneurial program which you can take in the comfort of your own home or office. And you can log on to BigFishNation.com or just spend some time and listen to Lauren and me this morning. How are you this morning, Lauren? Good morning, Catherine. I'm good. I'm Ready glad you roll. I hope so. I was frantically trying to get a hold of you this morning because I'm sending Lauren all these. I'm sending you all these emails, and I'm not getting a response. And I'm thinking, oh my God, she forgot. And <laughs> so oh, I get this. No, no. How could no. I forget you? Yeah, you're my coach. I mean, you got to be on the show with me. Uh, and I'm calling her, and I I got to get your private number. It seems today uh, I, that everybody has one number at least, and then they've got that little telephone number that nobody knows about. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's as true as many people. But I also th- I do have a um, yeah I do have a, another number. All right, I want that number. Well, <laughs> I want that little number that nobody knows about because I'm calling and I'm getting, you know, the business stuff and I'm getting, like, really nervous. What do you think about Paris Hilton? I'm, for some reason, I'm, like, focused on her. And I'd be so the first person. funny. And I'm just so not. So I'm glad somebody's, I mean, I guess someone's got it because she's all over the news. So, um, you know, obviously people are paying attention. And I'm not sure why. I mean, this is a psychological thing, why people are interested in her. Obviously, she's very wealthy. She's pampered. She's all of these things. And now she's in this two-by-four jail, jail exactly. cell. Yeah. yeah. And and everybody's talking about how she's going to survive it and what's it going to be like. And, yeah. She's not surviving well. No, but that's what I hear. Yeah, apparently she's crying. She's up, She's sobbing. She's talking about her cell is freezing. She has three small blankets and a little pillow. She can't get to sleep. It's very noisy. Um, and I guess she wants out. Okay. Well, that not that the reason that you go to a place like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have a problem with any of that stuff. I was in the, When I was her age, I was in the Peace Corps, living in Latin America, living amongst huts. and you know, We stayed in huts and bugs and discomfort and getting sick and not having medication. So I, don't feel, I mean, she's 23. She's healthy. She's, she's strong. Young, yeah. She's I young. agree with you. I think she's got the basic comforts of what you need to get a good night's sleep, you know? Yeah, although they do say, and I've been in jail because I'm a social worker, I used to see clients or patients, or actually they were uh, jail. They were uh, inmates. Inmates. By the time I saw them, uh, it's very noisy in jail. Yeah, I can imagine it is because it's all metal and cement. And I've actually been in jail too, but not personally, just to teach stress management courses. Believe it or not, to the to the people, not the inmates, but the um, at this that point it was dentists, and it was it was noisy. It was oh yeah, I hear you. I can't yeah. Even, Wait, well, it is she... cold too. There's a coldness about it. Yeah. The only I don't know about you, but she's going to be there for 23 days, and I'm one of those people. If it's if there's a certain amount of time, if I can count on the time, I can get by things because you know how we talk about doing things in baby steps. Uh-huh. If there is an agenda, I'm okay. If it's something that I, I'm going to be in a situation like that and I have no idea when I'm getting out. That would be really horrific. But knowing I'm going to get out in 23 days, and apparently she's in the process of writing a book, or she was that was her intention. You'd think it would be a breeze. 23 days, she could focus on her book, you know? 
Go visit go visit South Africa. Go visit some of these places around the world, these third world countries. The, the living conditions are far worse than they are in a jail cell. And as one of the bloggers said, Lauren, you know, she's in a what if she had you know, she's drinking and driving and driving under the influence, what if she had killed somebody in the process? Yeah, I mean, really. She, it yeah. would be a lot more than twenty three days. Yeah, it would be a lot more exactly. So, but I, I can't help it. I'm following up. I I, follow- I do think that though there's something there's something missing in this in the picture here for her, and that is like in other words, if she's only seeing the darkest and the ha- the glass half empty perspective here, she's not seeing that she didn't kill somebody. That it's only 23 days. It's like she's not able to see what you know. She's not able to be grateful for what she's learning in the process. You know, it's, my sense is that she has she's not going to learn her lesson in this process. No, she has her psychiatrist there. She should learn. Apparently, she's been speaking to her psychiatrist. She needs to speak to you. She's <laughs> so that you keep me going because you do have that attitude. You know, being grateful for what you have, not focusing on what you don't have. Which yeah, to me, it's like there's an opportunity of 23 days. Let's make the best of it and get this book written because you know people are going to buy that book. It will end up being a bestseller because of who she is. So get it done. Use the time. Use it productively, and you know, do the best you can with the twenty. It's a short amount of time. It's what three weeks in one day, two days. What about meditation? What about reading a book? Exactly. About, yeah, kind of spiritually getting into yourself. I mean, there are so many things that you can do in your. That's what monks do in their little cells. They're yeah, not jail they cells. For, and they do it for ninety days and a year, and you know, it's there's no speaking, and it's, and they, to them, that's a gift. You know. Yeah. <laughs> right. And. <laughs> To a new mo- to a mother who has her, her baby yelling and screaming, it's also a gift to have some quiet time, right? Totally true. It's just so interesting. I guess that's why I'm not into it because I'm just like, oh, get over yourself already. You know, you did something that wasn't appropriate. Get, you know, let's. What is there? To, what's the opportunity here to learn something to move yeah. on? And so it's just I have no energy for it. Yeah, do your time and get out. Exactly. All right. So I'll I'll be the one to keep you posted about her. Thank you very much. <laughs> Coming up. Well, I, I need someone to do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have uh this is from this is for moms and you're the mother of a daughter, although your daughter's it's gonna be a few years before she gets into this. But Nisha Jackson, who is a she is the head of a clinic that specializes in hormone therapy and relates really most behaviors to hormones or lack of hormones. And she's uh, co- she's authored a new book called Surviving the Teenage Home Hormone Takeover, A Guide for Moms. <laughs> she's also written several other books on hormones, uh, you know, met- perimenopause, menopause. So she's the hormone queen. And we're going to be doing hormones, but from a different perspective, I think, during the whole show today, Lauren, because James Bassel, who is the editor of uh, AskMen.com, if you've ever been to that website, you can go to the website, He's got, you can ask men.com all kinds of questions, and they answer your questions. Anyway, he wrote a book called From the Bar to the Bedroom, and he's got these 11 points or 11 tips for men how to get women from the bar to the bedroom. Is that sexist? Interesting. Oh, my God. <laughs> you want to ask him a few questions? Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, my God. And we're going to buy it, too, you know? Yeah. Oh yes, we my. are. Yeah, he's, he talks about it. And a lot of it is uh, all about, um, he talks about foreplay. Actually, I hope he ta- you know, I have to tell him. They're only so, I don't know what we can say on the air or not, but we're on the Internet. I think we can say what we want. It's not like terrestrial radio where there are certain limitations. Um, I think, uh, I think uh, I'll get an email from uh, my board op, I guess, if we can't say certain things. I don't know what you can say or not say, but uh, this probably will be a bestseller from the bar 
to the bedroom. <laughs> uh, anyway, ladies who launch, you mentioned that. Uh-huh. I just, uh, Ruben just emailed me and said, no regulations. We can say whatever we want. <laughs> Yay. Very cool. <laughs> I like it. So go for it. Okay, so I don't have to hold back when he gets on. I think you just yeah. got full permission. I got full permission. Right, exactly. Cool. Okay. Um now, you ladies who launched, you know, they were on the Today Show yesterday. Did you see them? I, you know what? I didn't see them. I um, was emailed by, by a good friend of mine who said, "But have you seen them?" And I had just shut the TV off, so um, I checked out their website. It was, and I hadn't seen it before. It was cool. Yeah. Well, you're an entrepreneur, or are you? At, you're an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur you and also, support entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. So. Uh, uh, they've been in business for about three or four years, and it's it's a great one of those, I guess I call it a, whim, a woman's kind of entrepreneurial kind of way of doing business because they set up these little support groups. And anyone who's interested or starting a new business, if you log on to Ladies Who Launch, which is a takeoff on Ladies Who Lunch, right. um, they help you what to set up your business and then to get you involved in a support group in your community so that you can you know, all of the stuff that comes up when you're trying to launch a business, you can discuss with people who've had experience or are in the process of doing the same thing you are. And the goal is to just help people be more successful more quickly, it sounds like. And I love the niche. You know, it's really specifically for people, for mothers, you know, for people that are trying to do it all. And don't, staying home is not the... Um, Answer. Only thing they want to do. <laughs> yeah, it's not the only, they, there's more for them and they know it. Is this ladies who launch? Okay, this is for mothers who want to start businesses. Are these women who are starting businesses in their home? Yeah, it's home-based businesses most of the time. I'm not sure that it is required that that's the, always the way it is. But probably it's more it's geared to some more ideas that people can do from home and on a part-time basis. Yeah. Well, both of these ladies were. Uh, very articulate, very attractive, and now very successful, exactly, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, it's a great idea because I think that whole idea of support is necessary. I really do. I think whether you're getting one-on-one coaching, which I get from you, or you have support groups amongst women, especially when you're staying home with babies, I think, ladies, that if you don't have support while you're staying home, you can go crazy. It's so true. It would, I, you know, there's no way that I could do it seven days a week. It would, it's exhausting. And it's, it takes you, it puts you in a bubble that is just hard to be in by yourself. Yeah, a bubble by yourself. That's how I felt I was, a bubble by myself. Yeah, it's a real wonderful distraction for me to have. It's focused three days of, it's my, you know, I have a very focused, very packed full three work days. And it doesn't mean I don't work on the other two days. I do, but I, at a really different pace. It's a little more relaxed, you know, I do it during her naps or in the morning or after she goes to sleep. But it's more catch-up time for me. So I probably end up working 32 to 40 hours each week, but it's, um, it's critical for me to have that distraction from, the parenting thing. Do you find, Lauren, before we take the break, I've got to ask you this question, because do you find, is, can you compartmentalize, you know, you talk about I have three full days and then I have four other days and I can be with my baby, but you find yourself sometimes getting distracted, being with the baby and thinking, well, I should, I, you know, I'd like to kind of do my work or I, you're thinking about that and you're not focusing or concentrating on what you're doing um, with the, the, I, the Sierra Bella. I could, I could see how that could happen, however... I get myself so that I have a structure, like I have a list of things that over the, those four days I'd like to do, and it's usually not a huge, long, exhausting list. It's like top five priorities of what I'd like to get done during those, those four days, and if I get it done, great, and if not, they're my first priority on this, my first day that I have support again. 
So, you know, you could go there, but I think that if we do that to ourselves, then we're not being the best we can be for as a parent. You know, that to me, taking the three days and being really focused from a work perspective gives me the opportunity to then focus on those other two days, Mondays or Fridays, whatever, of being able to, you know, that, those are my errand days with her and, you know, taking her places that would be fun. And then on our weekends, it's family time. You are so organized. It is. It helps a lot to have you that are, Yeah, it does. And it does. It helps with your work, and it also helps with parenting. Well, it's 15 minutes past the hour. You're listening to Lauren Beller with Catherine Zox on VoiceAmerica.com, VoiceAmerica.com Women. And coming up next is Nisha Jackson. She's author of Surviving the Teenage Hormone Takeover, A Guide for Moms. Talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. Between work and home, have to do's and want to do's, and exploring personal beliefs about ourselves and the world, there doesn't seem to be enough hours in the day to do it all. So, how do we keep our mental and physical balance? On Living Well, Feeling Great with licensed clinical and health psychologist, author and host, Dr. Peter Lambro, learn how to create a healthy and balanced work, personal, and spiritual life. Dr. Lambro and his expert guests explore the fields of hypnosis, nutrition, energy psychology, mental and emotional health, exercise, clearing self-sabotage, and other innovative pathways to manage life successfully and joyously. Learn to eliminate chronic anger, frustration, or disappointment, and hear about the techniques such as how to install positive beliefs. Living Well, Feeling Great with Dr. Peter Lambro broadcasts each Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Living Well, Feeling Great, helping you reach your goals. I have three children. And I've been raising my 16-year-old sister. Mary Gallagher and her family shared a two-bedroom apartment with eight people. Now Habitat for Humanity is helping her build a simple, decent, affordable home of her own. When we first found out that we were getting a Habitat home, it was like a dream. I kept saying, don't anybody wake me up. Not only is Mary helping build her own home, she'll buy it with a no-profit, zero-interest mortgage to keep it affordable. Habitat came out and built my home. And when Mary started building her house, I wanted to come out and give a hand. We're not just building Mary's house, we're building a neighborhood. There's several more to be built this year, and I look forward to working on each of their houses and seeing the joy of their face when they open the door to their brighter future. Habitat for Humanity. Building homes, changing lives. Support the work in your community. Visit Habitat.org. I feel very blessed. God has answered all of my prayers. We are home. Radio that talks with you, not at you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, and you are listening to the Catherine Zox Show, Voice America, voiceamerica.com. It's 18 minutes past the hour, and I'm your social worker with a microphone. What better person to interview Nisha Jackson, who is the founder and owner of Ventana Wellness 
a private practice dedicated to disease prevention, primary care, and hormonal health, and she is the author of Surviving the Teenage Hormone Takeover, A Guide for Moms. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Nisha. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And you are also a radio host. Yes, so. I am. Yes, <laughs> I am. Not, yes. It's, so we're, it's, it's so nice to be on the other end of the table here. Yeah, it is. Don't you think, though, it's 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 sometimes it's more difficult to be on the other end of the table? You're used to asking the questions. I mean, I've been on shows, and I get asked questions, and I'm like, oh, I'd rather be asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Sometimes it can be like that. Yeah. Now, our hormones. It seems to me, I guess hormones guide everything that we do, right? All our behavior, whether we are teenagers or perimenopausal or menopausal, it's all about hormones. It really is. Men and women, boys and girls, it is all about hormones and it's, you know, it's always been my goal to try to educate people, uh, men and women, boys and girls, teens, why their hormones are changing or how their hormones are changing and how that's impacting their lives. And so absolutely the age of puberty is decreasing and the rate of obesity is, is definitely soaring with teenage girls and I just kept thinking, man, it would be so great if I could get some information out there to the moms. And I wrote this book to the mothers because, you know, what teenage girl thinks she has a problem? Yeah. I know I didn't think I had a problem when I was I didn't think girl. I did either, and I was at a party a, a few months ago, and my father is long since gone, but he, one of his friends who is still alive said, "You, Catherine, you have no idea how much trouble you caused your father when you were a teenager. And I guess I said, you know, maybe I did realize it, but I didn't care. Those homo- hormones were raging. That's right. That's right. And, that, you know, your rationality is, is, is so little at that age. Your brain is still under significant development, and, and so the mothers really are the intervention or the caretakers. It could be the fathers or a grandmother. So this book is really written toward, you know, for the mothers or the caretakers of teenage girls. Nisha, you said that the age for menstruation, the age for going through puberty is is, is less. It was about, it wasn't 12.2 or wasn't that the average at one time and now it's down to what? Right. Well, actually in the early 1900s, the average age was 19 to 20. So, I mean, obviously we're, we're continuing to see a decline in the age of puberty for girls. But now we're seeing girls seven, you know, ages seven and eight starting their periods much more often than we ever have in the past. This was a, even during our time, this was considered a significant abnormality. Now it's actually much more common for girls to start their periods at, at age eight, which is really too many years of estrogen production. So the medical experts now, all of us, are feeling that some of the significant concerns regarding girls starting their periods so early is that excessive estrogen production for too many years possibly predisposing them to problems of osteoporosis, breast cancer, obesity, many other um, related hormone-related cancers. And that's very concerning because there must be something that we can educate our parents on early on this book is written for um, addressing teenage girls, but it's really a book that will help women that just have had a baby to learn what they can do early on to help not predispose the girl to too much estrogen-related foods and chemicals that would maybe mature their body too early. Okay, so what are some of those? Can we talk about, you know, what I was thinking, what kinds of foods are there? What are we exposing our daughters to so early that they start menstruating at 7, 8, or 9? Well, one of the, and this really isn't a theory, but this this actually has been shown in research that the excessive plastics that we use, and I know you've probably heard this on some of your previous shows, but the excessive plastics that we use emit a chemical that then mimics estrogen in the body. And this is true for boys and for girls, for men and for women. 
And, you know, a, a, a very likely scenario would be putting, you know, green beans in a bowl. Well, it's probably not green beans. It's probably macaroni and cheese yeah. in a plastic bowl with plastic wrap over the top of it and then putting it in the microwave and heating it up. The heating up of the plastics really um, causes the emission of this chemical into the food, which mimics estrogen. And then it really matures the girls much more quickly than they need to be matured. Now, that's just one of the many, many ways that um, women or girls can get excessive estrogen exposure. And we so call that estrogen dominance, too much estrogen exposure that dominates the other hormones and, ex- and uh, accelerates maturity. So would you not use microwaves or you just don't use the plastic or what do you do? You... I know. It's, this, is the, this is the balance I'm always finding myself when I'm working with my patients and I'm doing lecturing is that, you know, you have to be realistic because people are also on the run today and it's difficult to try to take the time and put it in a pot and heat it up on the, you know, the stove. So my, my suggestion for most people is to put a napkin over the top of it put it in a glass bowl and heat it up. I mean, at least you're eliminating the plastic exposure. The other real obvious way that uh, we are getting excessive uh, estrogen production in our body, um, and it's not the, unfortunately it's not the right kind of estrogen production, it's not good to have that much estrogen exposure, is water bottles um, that have the plastic water bottles that sit in your car and warm up, and then you get in the car, and even if the plastic uh, bottle has warmed up, you still open the lid and take a drink of that water. This is one of the problems with um, uh, estrogen exposure is those chemicals are released when that plastic bottle warms up in your car. And who knows how many times it's been warmed up before it even gets to the grocery store. So yeah. those are other issues. Being, you know, when it's packaged, when it's sent to the grocery store, all uh, distribution and all of those kinds of things. But, Nisha, what about, and you're talking about young girls, what, how about uh, the plastic water bottles? I'm sort of honing in on that because how many plastic water bottles do I use? I walk four miles a day. Does it affect the hormones of older women too or of perimenopausal and menopausal women? I think this is, this is some of the things that really have to be researched more because I often think, you know, are we getting off track on what really causes breast cancer? You know, is it really the hormone replacement therapy or is it our environment? Are we getting exposure to things in our environment that we really were never meant to have exposure to? So those are some of the things. And you can make some changes. You know, the book kind of goes through. I have two books just on diet alone and environmental exposure, and they're easy things to do. I wanted the book to be easy so so that mothers could, on the run, most mothers are working today, they could implement some of these things into their lifestyle so they wouldn't feel overwhelmed, but it could make a significant impact on the on the teenage girl as, as she gets older. And and not only starting her period, trying not to have her start her period earlier, but but then going through those menstruating years from, you know, twelve let's say twelve to eighteen while they're still in the home, trying to keep more balance with the hormones because even if they've started their period early trying to keep that balance by, you know, altering the kinds of foods and the, and the environmental exposure is huge. It makes such a significant difference. What's the impact, Nisha, over time in terms of, or maybe this hasn't been determined yet, if you start your period at 7 or 8, uh, for, um, in terms of fertility, what happens to fertility when you are ready to have babies and, you know, women are having children later in life? I think, isn't the statistic late 20s, early 30s? Is there any impact on that and getting pregnant and, and, and having babies? Yes, Catherine, that's a great question. And, you know, what the, the unusual answer is what you would not think, and that is the earlier, typically, the earlier you start your period, 
the longer you go menstruating. It's it's just the opposite of what you would think. Many people think if you start early, then you end early, but that's not necessarily the case. And, of course, everybody's different, and genetics plays into it quite a bit. But the fertility issue really has not been determined with girls starting their periods early. The one thing we do know is that girls starting their period early or not being hormonally balanced in the, the early menstruating years, which would be 12 to 18, 12 to 26, somewhere in those teen years or those young, young adult years, is typically starting the period early and being hormonally imbalanced means that they have too much estrogen, typically, and not enough progesterone. And we see that with girls developing more fat around the middle part of their body, maybe more uh, predisposure to acne, irritability, depression, mood swings. Their estrogen's too high and their progesterone is too low, and that is a problem for fertility. So those are some of the things that we also think are very important to get balanced in the early years so that they can go into their childbearing years not having as many fertility concerns. And, of course, Nisha, the big question is, here you have these young girls, babies, uh, they're not babies, but if you have eight-year-olds with mature bodies, but the brain of a, of a, a seven-year-old, the, the disconnect there has to really impact on their behavior, their relationship in, in you know, friends, school, family. Um, it, it, it simply can't work out well, can it? Absolutely. I think that's the, you know, if you, if you toss in an unstable home environment to that or lack of boundaries and some of the other things that get thrown into that where you, you can't or you're not guiding the teenage girl and she's, she has matured early, but her brain really is not into full maturity until age 26. I mean, that's amazing when you think about it. How about so, 46? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm still working on mine. I'm still working on my brain, too, yeah. <laughs> so those neural pathways really have not been established, especially in the area of reasoning or rationality. So, you know, if you toss in some lack of guidance to that, and you know, there's, there's a chapter on communication and parenting in there also, which is, you know, fairly basic, but some good guidelines for teenage girls just to explain where their brain is. Because, you know, how many times have you heard from your friends or, or even family members, I don't know what my daughter was thinking. I don't know why she would make that decision. And unfortunately, that's really where they're at, is that their lack of rationality and those neural pathways really have not been established and in many cases aren't established till age 26. Yeah, and the other thing is, that, you know, that all of this, this which just, totally surprises me, but all the sex that's going on in middle school kind of ties in with what you're saying, these young girls and oral sex in the bathrooms, which is a big issue today, and I guess it would, you know, if you have these young girls who are, um, you know, menstruating, getting their periods at seven or eight, by the time they get to junior high school, this is why all this, this, the this sexuality stuff is happening, I think, in the schools, in the middle schools. Right. Another, you know, that's just another reason why I felt it was important to get this information out there. We do, I do have a chapter specifically dedicated to sex, and I think it is important. My approach is a little bit different um, rather than just kind of uh, stating all of the facts today about how horrific the sexual environment is for teenage girls because it is horrific, but my approach in the chapter was more I want to educate the mothers, and, and there is sections in each chapter that are specifically addressed to the teenage girl. I want them to know what it means to have sexually transmitted diseases. What does it feel like? What does it look like? I mean, in their terms. 
So it is the scariest chapter you may ever read. <laughs> <laughs> when but, we come back, let's talk about it. We can ease them into it, and then they can go out and buy the book. Yeah, that's right. Uh, how about that? Yeah, that Nisha Jackson, good. great, really fascinating, great information. Surviving the Teenage Hormone Takeover, A Guide for Moms. You're listening to Catherine Zox with Nisha Jackson on voiceamerica.com, voiceamerica.com. Women, I'm your social worker with a microphone. Talk radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Chat with Women reaches boomer women and their daughters. The concept is simple. It's the modern equivalent of having coffee with a million or so of our closest girlfriends. Chat with Women doesn't talk trash and it doesn't dish dirt. It's intelligent programming for intelligent women. Imagine that. Host Pam Gray and Rochelle Alhadif, fun-living women with enough life experience to go around, want to share their joy and knowledge of life with others. Plan to spend Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific time with Pam and Rochelle on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you can't call mom, call Chat with Women. Real advice for real life from real women. And they keep their listeners laughing and learning with exciting interviews, live call-in sessions, and advice from two revolutionary baby boomers. Join Pam and Rochelle every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for Chat with Women here on the Voice America Women's Channel. Inner Health Through Homeopathy, hosted by Melissa Birch, CCH, with Dr. Tim Stryker. This show features a weekly discussion about homeopathy, a holistic approach to health care which treats ailments by bringing the entire body into balance. Homeopathy encompasses and examines the makeup of the entire person instead of focusing solely on a disease or ailment. The healing process involves physical, mental, and emotional changes which come from a wellness within. Homeopathic remedies go far beyond an alleviation of symptoms. They can restore harmony to the body and open paths to a higher level of awareness. Each week, Melissa Birch, CCH, explores a different health issue and individual healing processes with Tim Stryker, MD. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for inner health through homeopathy. Finally, radio that has real depth. Voice America Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, and you are listening to The Catherine Zox Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone at 33 minutes past the hour on voiceamerica.com women. And joining me this morning is Nisha Jackson. And she's known as Nisha to her radio audience, too, to all her radio audience, and has been on the air now for seven years. She's founder and owner of Ventana Wellness, a private practice dedicated to disease prevention, primary care, and hormonal health, which is what we're talking about today. Uh, and is author of the new book, Surviving the Teenage Hormone Takeover. And I guess it really is a takeover, as we've been discussing <laughs> it, a guide for moms. It is. It's just, it almost sounds like a, something that we can't do anything about. Of course, after reading your book, we'll find, you, you, listeners will know there is something we can do about it, and we have to take uh, responsibility. You know, I wanted to ask you, though, Nisha, I mean, this whole thing about hormones, 
and relationships, I keep getting back to this. If you have a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old who has her period, uh, how does that affect, and I really want to be specific about this, the relationship between mother and daughter? I mean, you've got a, a, a grown-up daughter there with a little girl brain, and it, it seems to me that, that it would be have a huge impact on the mother-daughter relationship. Right. You know, every single teenage girl is so incredibly different, and if you have several teenage girls or just girls in your home, everyone is going to respond to hormones differently, and that that just makes our work as parents so incredibly difficult and so time-consuming. If, if your daughter starts her period at 7, 8, 9, it just means your work is cut out for you. It doesn't mean that it's going to be um, um, worse. It just means that there will be more work because there's going to be a lot more guidance for more years than it would be if a girl started a period at 14 or 15. So, and, and unfortunately, that's, that's just reality. The reality is that girl is going to need a lot of guidance early on and a lot of education about what's happening in her body and hopefully some help from what I um, am called and, and, and known as, and there's many others in the country as a hormone expert, getting in to see somebody early on that you can identify maybe what some of the areas of hormone imbalance are. If you're starting a period early, the girl is starting her period early, most likely there is some kind of hormone imbalance, and that is what needs to be corrected early on. I went When I wrote the book, I tried to give every single area to the mothers that could cause a hormone imbalance because there's some things you just can't do. You can't stop a girl's period from starting at age 7. Uh, or eight or nine if it's already started. You, you can't stop it. And so once it's already started, now it's time to back up and say, okay, what else can I do to get this girl balanced? What can I do to make my job easier and make her life better? And, well, actually the whole family's life better if you can keep that girl hormonally balanced. And food is huge. Food is such an important area of hormone balance, and I and I think that many people don't ever think about food as being something that could keep their daughter hormonally balanced. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that's very true. Families don't think about that, that you have control over your hormones with just, you know, with what you put on the table for dinner. Uh, but there's another issue here because, at least in my experience and in, in practicing and, and uh, social work with families and stuff, mothers very often are uncomfortable about talking to teenage girls, uh, and I say real teenage girls, even 12, 13-year-old girls, about getting their periods, about, you know, sexual, uh, you, you know, where babies come from. And it, it And so you have, now you have a 7-year-old or an 8-year-old who has her period, I mean, and parents and who have a lot of difficulty talking about sex with their children. How do you handle that, or how do you recommend that uh, parents handle that, or that moms in particular, because that's what the book is about. Right. I just think that more information is better. I think you also have to take the maturity of the child. If the child's seven and she is very socially and, you know, situationally immature, then, you know, it's probably not the best idea to have a sex talk with a seven-year-old who's very immature, maybe socially isolated. It might not be the right time. You just have to see where the girl's at. But I think... It is amazing, Catherine, how many parents, specifically mothers, are still uncomfortable today talking with their kids about the reality of where girls are today in the area of, of, of having sex, all types of sex. And um, I was just talking to my daughter about that very issue last night. How old is your daughter? My daughter is almost 15. She's 14 and a half. 
and I have another daughter who's 12. And it's just amazing to me when she tells me about other parents, and, and I don't think... I don't think it's important to give them too much information. I mean, you have to you have to be aware of where they're at and be able to give them information that makes sense. And sometimes you just have to take a chance and say, you know what, this is the time. I, I need to give them the information now. But even talking about menstruation, I'm just floored at how many mothers never talk to the girls about what's really happening or, even worse yet, talking to the girls about it being something bad. Yes, that negative, yes. getting your period is a negative thing. Yes, it's now, I had, the op- I had a wonderful mother when it came to that. She was terrific. I, I, we, I was seven years old, which is interesting. I remember it very, you know, really, uh, seven years old, sitting on her bed. She's getting dressed to go out to a party with my father, and I see this big box of Kotex in the, in the uh, closet. And I asked her what it was, and very casually she just told me what it was and what it was used for, and I went on to next. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think me... that straightforward conversation is very key. And sometimes yeah. I wonder, is the mother not comfortable with herself enough to be able to say that, and that's the crux of the problem? I'm not sure. But the, it is it is very key, and I talk about that in the book, that having an open conversation and, and an honest conversation and not making it, not making it um, seem wrong or bad to the girl as far as their menstruation goes is really important because that perspective that they develop early on, I believe, will continue to haunt them for years. If they think it's terrible and it's painful and it's, you know, and it's, it's ugly. <laughs> I just think that is, that's, that's, that's the pace. And, that's and I think necessary. there's also a consistency with that uh, going along with what you're saying is if they think they're having their period, that they're ugly and disgusting, and, and it, it also carries on to when they get pregnant. They don't, uh, I find, and girlfriends who've had that experience, they don't feel good about their pregnancies. They sometimes have difficult pregnancies. I totally uh, agree. So, don't you think so? Yes, I, I, I see that, that all the time in my yeah, practice. Yeah, and difficult births and difficult even having good sexual relationships right. with their partners. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. You know, so you it's funny, really... I talk about that a little bit in the sex chapter. What happens in those early teenage years with girls really does have an influence on their long-term relationships later, and that is a key, that is a key point. If there's, if there's even one reason why we should try to keep our girls having sex you know, encouraging them to have sex later would be emotionally they're not ready for it when they're teenagers. So let's get real practical, which I know the book is too, but uh, so what do we do, as you say, because if you get your period when you're seven or eight, it's done. It's the takeover, and then you have to deal with it, which you will, we assume people will do, but how to prevent it so that that doesn't happen, and there are things that we can do very, very specifically. I mean, you mentioned the plastic and the melted plastic. Mm-hmm. Any other, because we didn't really speak specifically about the foods. What foods should you avoid or not eat too much of well, so that you, yeah. Right, Catherine, it's, it's such an important question because it feels so overwhelming. It's like, where do I start? But here are the basics. Make sure that your daughter, from a food standpoint, is eating breakfast. Breakfast is absolutely the most important meal of the day for a teenage girl. It's actually the most important meal of the day for all of us, but especially for a growing teenage girl. Have some protein, limit the sugar, and get as much fiber in the breakfast as possible. Maybe a, a hard-boiled egg and some slow-cooked oatmeal. You know, high-fiber, cold cereal, high-fiber, low-sugar. That The fiber is key because it gives them more energy and more brain function longer Protein has to be implemented somehow so that they also can have brain energy and muscle energy. That's what protein does, and it keeps their blood sugar balanced so they're not up and down all day long with their emotions. 
and then giving them a good lunch and giving them a good dinner, teaching them about sugar, how many teaspoons of sugar in one can of soda, you know, 11 to 12 teaspoons. Take a, take a teaspoon of sugar and put it in a clear glass. These are some of the things that really make the girl emotional. Those are the basics. Get that soda food. out of the house is my advice. Pardon me? I would say get that soda so out of the house. Even Absolutely. If they get, yeah. Just they don't have to drink it, it in your own house. So if they have it at a, somebody else's house, fine, but it's, they're not having it all the time consistently. And what about that? We don't we have that much. We only have two, three minutes left. So I just want to ask you, I think don't you, you know, sometimes people feel, oh, my God, like you said, how am I going to do all this? I can't, you know, be such, you know, I work. I can't monitor all the food. I mean, even if you give the your daughters and your sons, but the breakfast that you describe, and maybe lunch isn't so good because they eat lunch at school or they mm-hmm. exchange their food at school, too. We know that from a practical point of view. And then they eat a really good dinner. You're still going to be ahead of the game. Absolutely. If you can control breakfast and, for the most part, dinner, and then keep, keep all that crap out of your house as far as the pop and the excessive sugar, you, they're going to eat whatever's there. If you have beautiful fruit on your counter and no, no excessive sugar in the house, they're going to eat the fruit. So at least you can control what's going on in the house. You're not going to be able to control everything, and that's unrealistic to think that. But you can control what's going on in the house, and I can't tell you how significant sugar, refined sugars are on teenage girls and hormones. They will make the girl more depressed, more irritable, and more up and down with her energy. So these are really key points. And then sleep is the other big thing, is get your girls to bed earlier and let them sleep eight hours and insist that they sleep eight hours, They ha- at least eight hours. If they can sleep longer, it's, it's great. But get them on a consistent sleeping schedule because sleep is the time when you're making hormones that will help you be more balanced during the day. This is true for adults also, but especially teenage girls. All right, sleep and get rid of the sugar and buy your book. That's, <laughs> I don't know. And you can buy the book at Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. Uh, it, surviving the Teenage Hormone Takeover, A Guide for Moms, and Nisha, your website, so that we can all go to your website and keep abreast of what's going on. Yes, there's two ways you can go to the website. It's asknish, N-I-S-H, asknish.org, O-R-G, or you can go to asknish.com. Great. Great having you on the show today. Well, thank you. Yeah. A lot. I mean, I, I, I learned a lot. I know the listeners did, too. And uh, go out there, get the book, go to your website, and uh, no sugar. Get no some, sugar. No sugar and get some rest. <laughs> or limited, at least. <laughs> or limited, right. Have a great day. Thanks you so much. Too. Thank you. Nisha Jackson, and I'm Catherine Zox, and you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com, and this is VoiceAmerica.com Women. I am your social worker with a microphone, and it's 45 minutes past the hour. Talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. If you are among the millions who are on the quest to find the fountain of youth, then this is the program for you. Dr. Norm Shealy brings to Internet Talk Radio, Youthful Aging, Secret of the Fountain, every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 12 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Dr. Shealy's mission is to help you have optimal health and longevity, and the purpose of Youthful Aging is to give you an opportunity to ask your own questions about anything related to health, and everything is related to health. 
Each week, Dr. Sheely will focus on a particular health topic and welcomes your questions, which are the reason for the program. Tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 12 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Youthful Aging, Secret of the Fountain with Dr. Norm Sheely. And discover for yourself the secret of the fountain. Are you willing to be taught? And invest a few minutes each week to learn principles that will ensure your success and fulfillment? Tune in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to It's Easier Done Than Said on the Voice America Women's Channel. Winning with Wellness, where beauty meets health, with Dr. Vidushi Babber, is a place where women can share their health and beauty tips and learn that wellness means having a positive self-image. Tune in every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, and you are listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmerica.com. VoiceAmerica.com women. I'm your social worker with a microphone, 47 minutes past the hour. Joining me this morning is James Bassel. He is editor of AskMen.com and is author of the book From the Bar to the Bedroom. Our whole show today has been all about hormones. How are you this morning? Welcome to the show, James. Thank you, Catherine. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Okay, from the bar to the bedroom, and I've been told that you can say whatever you want because we are on the Internet, so we're uh, <laughs> not no, limited. No this morning. <laughs> from the bar to the bedroom, what is it? It's a handbook for men in need of guidance, and I think men are in need of guidance. This is from a woman's perspective right. when it comes to the fairer sex. So you give them rules. You're real specific about what they should do, how to bring the gals from the bar to the bedroom. Yeah, we're very specific and kind of trying to help guys plot out strategies and systems for approaching women and for talking to women and for courting women. Because like you say, a lot of guys are really uh, confused and clueless in this regard. And we guys, we like systems. We like rituals and things that are easy to remember that we can fall back on. Well, it's a good thing you're doing it because one thing I think, James, that men have difficulty with is is asking or they, they don't want to ask for guidance. Uh, no. and especially not with their partners. I think women are more willing to say, hey, you know, I like this, please do this, or, or they're, they're, they, they don't mind telling you what to do, yeah. <laughs> even in the bedroom. I don't know if that's such a good thing, but men seem to kind of, they don't want to talk about it. I think you're quite right, and I think that applies to kind of every, every step of a relationship, where guys, on the one hand, they don't like to reveal their ignorance when it comes to courting women. They like to talk about their accolades and their, the, the women that they've bagged, you know, but, right. but they won't mention the trouble that they've had or, or the insecurities that they feel about it to their other friends. Yeah, which is a problem, I think, which really gets in the way because if you can't, if you're not aware of what your problem is, you can't do anything about it. Yeah. And uh, so let's start with, should we start with, well, what's rule number one? What's the most important thing? I think you do talk about you have to have confidence. If you don't have confidence, you can't, I don't think you can do the other ten. Yeah, if you don't have confidence, you're done. It's it's, uh, it's really the deal maker. And for guys, it's a big issue because, again, they don't really have any reference points for whether or not what they're doing is right other than just their past mistakes. So 
guys don't really know how to approach women. They don't know if they're doing the right thing when they come up to them and start talking to them, and they end up just choosing the route, just not doing anything. You've got to have confidence. You've got to muster up the confidence and even fake it until you have the real thing, which will come with the experience of... So, James, give an example of confidence. You're at a bar, and, you know, you see a girl sitting at the other end of the bar, and you want to talk to her. What do you do? I mean, how do you... Without swaggering up and acting like a jerk... Well, I think what usually happens at that point with a lot of guys is they see the woman, they say, she's attractive, I want to go and talk to her. Then they think about it and doubts start to creep in, and they rationalize not doing it. What you need to do is just go with your gut, go with your instinct, approach her, speak to her as an individual. A lot of guys will use pickup lines, they'll use some generic compliment that that's really just a blanket remark that doesn't address the woman as an individual. She wants to know that you are approaching her as a unique person and you're interested in her as one, and you're trying to find some common interest between the two of you. So what would be a unique thing rather than some kind of general thing? Because I know, you know, girls in college, if a girl is sitting there with her girlfriend or other girls and the guy comes up with one of those general kinds of comments, they go back, they go into the bathroom and start laughing at him. Yeah, because he sounds ridiculous, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one thing that I think that one thing you have helping you out right off the cuff is the environment that you're in. You're both in a certain place for a certain reason. You're either in a club for the music, you're at a sports event to see the sport. Already there is that common interest between you. So you want to point to that. Ask her what she thinks of the music this week as compared to last week. Ask her what she thinks about how the sports team you're watching is doing these days. It may seem kind of cliched when you say it, but that's the only thing you have at that time. You have that one common interest, you want to point to it and breed further common interests. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you're on the ski slopes, you're skiing, you both like to ski. So you are in a, you're at something that you both like to do already. So you have that advantage is what you're saying. Exactly. You don't go up to her and just gush over how beautiful her eyes are because... She knows that. that. She knows that. <laughs> She's already heard that five or six times that day. She doesn't need to hear it again from you. Now, what do you do when you go up? I don't get your confidence. You do just as you just mentioned. But you don't you have to be aware as a man that maybe there's maybe she's not attracted to you, and so then what do you do? Is there a point where you just realize that maybe you just should stop and and leave, or um, do you keep trying? Yeah, guys, I think uh, I think a problem for a lot of guys is having mustered up, finally mustered up the the courage to approach this woman. They, they don't want to let it go. They just want to say, well, I've come this far. I, I don't want to be rejected at this point. I, I've tried so hard already. Guys have to realize that. It's kind of a numbers game in the sense that it's out of your control. You're approaching a stranger. She might have a boyfriend. She might be married. She might be fresh out of a relationship and doesn't want to deal with another one. And you just have to acknowledge that you're approaching a stranger. If there isn't a common interest there, you will get the cues. She won't respond to you. Maybe she'll give you a look that says very strongly that she's not interested. You have to be polite about it, be a gentleman, and move on. Yeah, don't stay there and monopolize her time for the rest of the evening till she has to leave or make some kind of an excuse, and that's not good for your confidence. No, and you're not going to convince her. You're not yeah. going to sell her. Right. You know, the additional ten minutes you spend there isn't going to change her mind. But and you know what, James? You fresh. mentioned a, that's an important point, I think, because somehow men do think that they can convince you right. that if they just say the right thing, whether even bragging about how much money they have or you know how great sports person or whatever they do, they do have they. There's something, I don't know if it's in the male ego, but I think you're really onto something there because they do, they will not give up. Yeah, and I think you're, you're right in pointing to the ego. I mean, pride definitely comes into play. On the one hand, you know, there's the man's own pride of having made this approach. He doesn't want to have the personal failure. 
and also guys being so accustomed to just talking about women in terms of boasting, boasting about the women they've had or the women they met or the phone numbers they got. Guys don't like to have to talk about the failures to their friends. Yep. So I definitely pride comes in the mix. Definitely ego comes in the mix. But it's not now, what about guys. mastering? You talk about mastering the art of conversation. Yes. How do you master? What if you're some a guy who's shy, who you know you may be a nice guy, attractive guy, but you're just not a big talker. So how do you go through the process of? Do you have to take classes? Well, I think being shy in in a lot of these situations might kind of work in your favor. I think a bigger issue comes when guys feel the need to just kind of sell themselves and talk about themselves endlessly. And right off the, as soon as they start talking to a woman, they feel the urge to kind of present their value to that woman. So they talk about how much money they make. They talk about their job. They talk about the car that they drive. They just try to position themselves as a valuable commodity in this woman's eyes. I think what most women want to hear is points of interest that you share. And you arrive at those points of interest by letting her talk, by giving her platforms to talk about what her job is, what she does in her spare time, what interests her. That's going to work very much in your favor because she will appreciate the fact that you take a sincere interest in her and you'll find fodder for further conversations in the process. And in that, going the next one is, and, and uh, we're just kind of wetting people's appetites because we don't have that much time left because they need to go out and get the book, but leave right. her wanting more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how do you do that? You do that by limiting your availability to her. And I think that this applies throughout, you know, a great span of relationships. It's not just limited to when you first meet the woman. If a guy's been single for a while and he meets a woman, he's just so happy to have the woman that he wants to spend all his time with her. He wants to do whatever she wants. He wants to hang out with her seven days a week and plan wonderful things. And this is all great. It's coming from an honorable place. But if you're available all the time, all of a sudden you might start to lose your value in her eyes. You want her to miss you a bit. You want her to think about you while you're gone. You want her to think that she has to pursue you in the same way that you pursued her. So limit your availability. Don't be the guy who's always around because that that's going to get boring after a while. All right, so James, you don't have to call her all the time. Let her call you. Let her ask you to go out to do something. Make it more mutual. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's something of a game on a certain level in that you're, you're inspiring her to, to chase you. But this is something that I think guys do too much almost by instinct. They're always going after the woman. They always want to know what the woman's doing. They always want to hang out with the woman. And that's going to be a little suffocating for a woman after a while. Yeah, I think that you should be teaching a course. Yeah, well, that's what that's what the book's for. The course is all right there and in, in from the bar to the bedroom. It's great. And you can order this. It's a HarperCollins, and you can order it online, bookstores everywhere. And you can go, also go to askmen.com, and uh, you, you can actually take a look at all of those 11 strategies, but go out and get the book from the bar to the bedroom. James, did, did I pronounce it right? Basil? Basil? Basil. You got it. Basil. James Basil. <laughs> the dating expert. Great having you on the show this morning. And thank you, Catherine. Thank you. Bye. From the bar to the bedroom. Yeah, it is a good book. We only got through three of the of the uh, rules for picking up and pleasuring women, so you have to buy the book if you want to read the rest. You've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox on Voice America, voiceamerica.com women. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week. 
We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversation with Catherine Zox.